Welcome to Rumor Flies, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. I'm not Ryan or Josh. Fuck you. Anyway, so um, <laughs> today we are going... Full to- disclosure, we just recorded a land yap, and this, these two guys were like, you know who I am. They do know who we are. <sighs> today we are going to be talking about something known as mass hysteria, or by a more medical term nowadays, either mass sociogenic illness or uh, mass psychogenic illness. So, the first off, thank you everybody for listening once again. And uh, do we have anything up front to say other than check out the Educated Mess Network, uh, the side characters, and everything but murder? Educated Mess Network, side characters, everything but murder. All right, wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, I will say uh, thanks to the new influx of Patreon uh, subscribers. So thank you guys for, for doing that. Um, I'll thanks, throw that man. one out there. Oh, Appreciate yeah. that. We did change the Patreon setup. Uh, Greg, do you want to explain that a little bit better than we can? <laughs> Yeah, for anyone who missed it, uh, we have switched to a no matter what you pay, you get everything model. Uh, We are not going to be doing the like super high tier stuff as much. We found that was mostly clutter and noise. Uh, Although any of you who have done some of the higher tier stuff, if anyone that we have not finished up with, you will that that's still coming. I can think of one person in particular. Uh, But yeah, basically, no matter what you pay, you will get the Lanyap episodes, which are the 10 to 15 minute supplements to each episode and the bonus episodes that we do roughly every month. And yeah, it's pay what you want, get everything. We just want to share with everybody. And thank you all who have joined us recently and are now new patrons. And thank you to all our veteran patrons. So moving on, um, this episode is kind of going to be a foray, not into uh, are these things real, but more understanding and getting a better picture of what a event of mass hysteria can be. Now, uh, from how would you two define mass hysteria? Sexist. What? What? <laughs> Not kidding. No, hysteria. no, no. Oh, you, you're you're actually probably right. Coming to think, of, like thinking about it from my research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I that's why. Say, I was, yeah, I, I was like, my, let's 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 let's. I would say let's really quickly address the the hysteria term. Ryan, do you want to, or would you like me to? I think you sound like you have the bullet in the barrel already, so fire it off. I mean, it's fine. I just didn't want, I just wanted steel thunder. Uh, so the short version of it is that hysteria is a pretty sexist term. Uh, the short version is that in like the late 19th century, uh, especially that's some of the earliest record records of this psychologists, uh, anyone who was like, you know, early psychiatry, that kind of thing, uh, attributed a lot of maladies experienced by women to their reproductive system hence the word hysteria hysteron hysterectomy which is yeah, okay yeah, uterus. Yeah, yeah yeah and so basically y'all are familiar with it like various uterine procedures and medical terms start with hyst hist yeah so hysteria is basically like you're acting ridiculous because you're a woman and your uterus is all out of balance hysteria and so it's it's kind of got unfortunate uh, sexist connotations and uh, definition. And so something like, uh, I think, Ryan, you were using a different term when we were prepping for the episode that is more uh, medical and not as problematic. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing through my notes for it. I can't find it right now. No, um, I, I got a definition. But yeah, no, come to think of it, you. like uh, focusing in on that. Yeah, for a while, like if you ever look at anything where people were sent to quote unquote, insane asylums for a while, uh, mm-hmm. it could be anything from just alcohol. Like a guy caught his wife drinking alcohol, send her over there or some like 
white collar dude just wanted a weekend off so he sent his wife to an insane asylum for quote unquote hysteria like it is on paper that people go there for that back in like the early 1900s or late 1800s it was a pretty common thing and uh the whole way people treated mental illness back then is uh different can of beans to open up possibly for a different episode but yeah that's kind of where it bases from however there is a sociological phenomenon that is worth addressing and uh that would mainly be uh known as mass sociogenic illness and according to ncbi they would describe this as uh it refers to the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation loss or alteration of function whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic ideology meaning that it's a whole bunch of people getting stirred up and kind of like um placebo affecting themselves into a illness and the there's another section on wikipedia that i'm just gonna like spout off real quick this is not exactly important but it's supplementary um, from most common to less common, these are some of the common symptoms of what they would call mass psychogenic illness. Headache, and it's percents reporting, 67% is headache. That's the highest by far. Then it goes down to dizziness or lightheadedness, nausea, abdominal cramps or pain, cough, fatigue, drowsiness, sore or burning throat, hyperventilation, watery or irritated eyes, chest lightness or pain, inability to concentrate in their slash trouble thinking, vomiting, tingling, anxiety or nervousness, diarrhea, trouble with vision, rash, loss of consciousness, slash syncope, we've talked about in other episodes, and finally itching. Long story short, it sounds like a contagious panic attack from everything I've experienced in the past. That's it's, a really good description. Yeah. I actually, and I have, I have a really easy real world example that I'm sure most people know. I'm probably dating myself. Uh, Beatlemania. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that was that was a big problem with the Beatles. Surprise, so, uh, just so y'all know, Ron, uh, Josh was actually born on the eve of uh, World War II. <laughs> <laughs> some I'm, some I'm, listener out there is going, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that person I appreciate. Thank you. But if you if you ever took the time to look into like Beatlemania or Beatles hysteria or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of cases of people going to their concerts and freaking out, fainting and describing all of these effects that Ryan just went through. So, I mean, it, it, Elvis was another one too. the Beatles or, and Elvis are the two that stick on my mind. Or like how someone on a more innocuous example, someone clears their throat and then suddenly everyone starts clearing their throat. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good one too. So here's another situation where I think the interesting part about this episode is we're going to, uh, look at a couple of different instances of what people would call mass hysteria, or we'll just call it uh, mass sociogenic illness if we can, because I'm just still programmed to say hysteria from that. But I'm a I like best. mass panic attack. I really like mass panic attack. Yeah, let's go with mass panic attack. That works great too. <laughs> that is the new rumor flies official term. So, so another bout of mass panic attack. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean there are a lot of situations where people could have called it uh, this certain phenomenon, such as like the Salem witch trials, the 
Dancing Plague uh, during the medieval times. Uh, there yep. are several, several, uh, like I, I would say at least 100 different instances that could be considered this phenomenon throughout time. But we're actually going to be focusing on pretty uh, contemporary instances of this just to show that it isn't like something of the age of yore or anything like that. But also it could be in my mind from the top of this episode, potentially a wave off of an actual thing happening. Um, or it could be something that we don't understand quite as well as we should. Um, and I guess we'll, with these combined stories, probably get a little bit better review of this. Now, who would like to bring up the first instance of mass panic attack? I vote I'd like to. Yeah. So my topic is a, initially we had this kind of nebulous concept of we'd, heard about and searched a bunch of these incidents involving cheerleaders. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit, but there's one case that really caught my attention. So I didn't tell uh, Ryan and Josh this. I, I am pulling a slight oblique on my topic here, but it's the basically the same idea. So this is like a strange case that took place roughly 2011 to 2012. Uh, it involves several people and several incidents, and it's sort of hard to find kind of the first incident, but it does seem to kind of kicked off in August of 2011. Uh, Lori Brownell, who is a 16-year-old from Corinth, New York, passed out while, quote, headbanging at a concert. Uh, roughly a, a month later, roughly a month later, she passed out at her high school homecoming dance. And so basically her parents started getting concerned because these seemed to be somewhat random, right? They didn't seem to have a theme and they're like, well, this has happened very quickly twice. It's very dangerous. Let's go see a doctor. After receiving some medication from doctors, her symptoms and episodes became more frequent and more dramatic, but the medicine really couldn't be attributed to it. So she started developing like twitches and just involuntary tics. Uh, she would just randomly start going like, hey, 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 just like talking, all this stuff. And the doctors eventually diagnosed her with Tourette's syndrome, mm. but her parents really weren't satisfied. At the same time, 14 other kids, 13 girls and one boy in the upstate New York area, kind of around this, most of them went to the same high school, but not all, started having tics as well. So immediately the school and the state health department, all these groups start trying to figure out what's going on. You know, is there something in the water, right? Was it <laughs> exposure to something? Is it something in the air? Is it, you know, lead paint? What is it? Like they're trying to isolate. Why would these kids all be having these symptoms? What are the commonalities? Beatlemania. Uh, Exactly. So they even looked into like fracking in the area because fracking had really taken off at this point and or God forbid, and I'm sorry, Ryan, could it have been vaccines? Right. So they kept rolling out all these different possibilities and really couldn't find any evidence to lead them anywhere. I mean, they just there was just nothing that was striking and that really fit the bill for everybody. So it got to the point where Katie Krautwurst, who is one of the girls experiencing these symptoms, her mother, Beth Miller, contacted the one and only Aaron Brockovich. Uh, this is part of what Whoa. caught my attention in this case. So Brockovich shows up with a team to go test soil around the school with CNN reporters and cameras in tow. Uh, the school knew this was going to happen and obviously worried about the PR. And they had the police show up and basically escorted them off the property so they never got to test it. This, of course, started fueling even more speculation that something was wrong. They were having town hall meetings and people were shouting about it being, they won't tell us the truth. And this just escalated, escalated. Um, basically, the community just became increasingly angry and frustrated with what was basically looking like a cover-up. 
uh, even though the school and the health department, all these groups had cleared it. And basically, this started to spiral out of control where you start getting to a point where nobody's really going to validate and like make it okay, right? And because ultimately, the answer was unsatisfying. The, the environment didn't cause it, but all these kids mysteriously did it. Eventually, someone asked the uncomfortable question, which was, are they faking it, right? And this is kind of our subject today. The answer is kind of complicated. And as Ryan said, it can be linked to the Salem witch trials. Um, there's actually several incidents, modern incidents, uh, that have taken place. So I found a great New York Times article that's going to be in the show notes, of course. Uh, quote, in 2002, 10 students, this is the initial thing I found, by the way, this is what my topic was going to be. In 2002, 10 students, five of them cheerleaders in a rural town in North Carolina, suffered non-epileptic seizures and fainting spells. In 1952, the Associated Press reported that 165 members of the Tigerettes cheerleading squad from Monroe, Louisiana, fainted before a halftime at a high school football game in nearby Natchez, Mississippi. There was no unusual circumstances other than a little bit of heat and an embarrassing incident. This is really key. And an embarrassing incident in which the girls had come onto the field after the first quarter by accident. So many girls were fainting in quick succession that five ambulances had to go out and haul them off. Whoa. So this is what you were saying earlier. I loved your mass panic attack thing. That's obviously not really accurate. Like we're being kind of facetious. It's the but symptoms. Yeah. There's this, yeah, like you're, but like what you're saying isn't wrong either. It was this, they were embarrassed and it was this like almost intense empathy response as the conclusion, Right. And so the same thing happened in 2002. And this has happened, for some reason, this happens over and over with cheerleaders. There's a bunch of incidents where it's like a public performance thing. Someone does something embarrassing and a bunch of people basically experience like a, a, a uh, not syncretic, a just kind of a parallel thing. So y'all kind of see where I'm going with this. I mean, it's like, um, this just there's it, so many stories of this where just you, you they just can't find it. And it's not that they're faking it is that their brain and their body is physically manifesting the thing they've convinced themselves. This is all power of suggestion. We've talked about this before. You were going to say something, Ryan. I'm sorry. No, this is just a, this is a reach. But also, I'm just thinking, like, um, who better would be set to coordinate almost, you know, uh, move for move than cheerleaders? So... Just like with that huh, mindset that's actually of really being interesting in unison. That's actually, like kind yeah. of in tune. Yeah, yeah that's actually <laughs> a like great that. point. I like that armchair theory. I really like that. <laughs> Don't take that as any sort of like scientific assessment, okay? Canon. No, no, no. Canon. But it, it, Canon. Write <laughs> <laughs> it down. <laughs> but yeah, y'all kind of get the point. I mean, th 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 that's kind of, this is just an example of the stories we're telling tonight. And ultimately, a lot of these cases it just subsides over time. And in some cases it paralleled when the media and local news stopped talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That'll that's come up so, again. Like, like, right. Like that's a very interesting, like problem that happens with these over and over again is that it, it, the attention to it. Hence, like we go back to the Salem witch trials, your entire community is embroiled in this. So now you have two forces that are pulling on you. One, upholding the lie because admitting it would be really fucking bad, right? Or if you truly believe it, everyone around you is kind of egging you on. I think there's also a case, uh, potentially a side name for this is uh, media syndrome. Um with mm. a lot of the situations that I've seen um, in looking at particular cases to address in this episode, it seems like the media never makes it better um, when it comes to these situations. <laughs> so, yeah. I, 
so I'm just going to take a guess here, Greg. So was this something um, that like when the summer months came, it would just disappear on its own? It'd be like a miracle or... That's My... interesting. I can't say that. It, it, <laughs> most of what I read is that the symptoms gradually fade away. So again, this is speculation, but I would think that if you are lying, right? Let's say that you're lying. Some people are having a real response. Some people are lying and participating. Uh-huh. My thought process would be, well, I want to move on. So I'm going to make a believable scenario yeah. in which this thing passes. Um, that is a thousand percent pop sociology, psychiatry, anthropology, speculation on my part. Um, that is not based in anything. Because again, we don't really know what's causing this. We, you, you ultimately, unless a person admits it, you never know if they're like lying or if they're just having a psychosomatic response. And we've just seen, I mean, this is this is what underlies the placebo effect. We've talked about it so many times, right? I hope none of you were going to cover that, but I mean the super short version, we've talked about this. You keep hearing this term in studies. We have to account for the placebo. We have to have a placebo group, right? It's because you, you have to assume that 30% of people, right? That's why you have the blind stuff, that 30% are going to have a response whether they should or not. And so what happens is you're like, okay, I'm going to give 10 people a sugar pill. I'm going to give 10 people the medicine. And the and I tell everybody they got medicine. Three out of 10 of those people in general are going to think they got better. Yeah. And like to them, they functionally did. Like they, they, they honestly believe they did. Especially things like headaches and itchiness. And, you know, some of those ones we were talking about that are like nuisances mm -hmm. and sensations versus like a physical manifestation. Although the rash on the list really caught my attention. That I'm fascinated in. But anyway, we'll, we'll get, um, we'll get more kind of that. Get, yeah. Yeah. So y'all get the idea. I'm kind of going on and on. But yeah, it's, it's, it, this is just a, it's like this social pressure moment that causes people to have a like physical response that's not a typical panic attack. It's like ongoing. It's really interesting. I, I, I do need to clarify something because I just kind of connected some dots here. Uh, I asked specifically about the summer months because if these kids are in school, they're going to be around each yeah, other all the time. Yeah, that's kind of where I thought you were going and with it. It was, but I also realized that it was a reference to Donald Trump talking about the coronavirus. I thought about it and I was, I was wondering. So I needed to make a distinction <laughs> that I was actually going for some actual thought uh, and not just regurgitating some, some bullshittery from... Uh, <laughs> From last year. So, sorry. Need to clarify that. Yeah, that one slipped right by me, believe it or not. <laughs> really? I just, yeah. I, you know what? That might be the most impressive part of this episode, then. I was like, that pretty much covers it for me. Um, who's up next? I think I'll take this one because I don't... Uh, this is one of the most uh, medium bucket ones I think we have, not to give away too much from the beginning. But you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Uh, I would like to talk about the Belgian Coca-Cola scare. I think I briefly mentioned this to you too, um, but I originally read this in one of the books that I read recently. Either it was uh, Humankind or it was in Humble Pie, which is what one of our Patreons is based off of recently. Uh, but it's generally the idea of how can a group thing take over for a little bit and for what reason? And I'll just go ahead and run down the story. Have you guys heard of this whatsoever aside from me ever mentioning it no i've only ever heard it come out of your mouth hole okay so <laughs> let's start with june 8th 1999 
26 children began to feel sick at a school in northwestern Belgium. They reported tiredness, heart palpitations, stomach aches, and uh, headaches after drinking Coca-Cola. And this is around lunchtime. And okay. then they complained of a strange, like odd smell and taste of the Coca-Cola they were drinking out of. Um, hearing about this immediately, Coca-Cola decided to issue a recall in the area. And within 48 hours of it hitting news, children from other schools began to complain of the same illness. Hmm. The Belgian health authorities eventually banned Coca-Cola sales outright until they figured out what was going on. And then by that point, hundreds of people were phoning in to report that they were poisoned and they were getting sent to the ER. Um, and by the end of this, uh, soon people in northern France even were reporting symptoms. And a letter to Lancet, which you've mentioned before, it's a uh, medical publication, uh, described it as such. Most complaints consisted of vague constitutional symptoms and were transient. Neither physical findings nor laboratory results resulted in any significant abnormality. These Coca-Cola samples were sent to a lab, and by the end of this, they couldn't find anything wrong in these so, samples. So question. So basically what the Lancet was saying was that we understand that people are having all these issues, but under a, like a medical diagnosis, we can't find anything concrete whatsoever that would constitute them acting this way. Yes. So okay. regardless of that, over 100 people ended up in the ER uh, throughout this incident. And also 30 million cans of Coca-Cola were recalled in Belgium. Oh, that God. is an insane amount, even for Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. yeah. So like I said, nothing was found to be wrong in laboratory results. I will caveat this bacterial viral or uh, parasitologic investigations carried out by the Coca-Cola company laboratory were all <laughs> negative. The company submitted results of chemical analysis to a laboratory for toxicolo uh, toxicological advice. According to the toxicology reports, it is unlikely that such low concentrations of carbonyl sulfide, which was suspected, hydrogen sulfide, and 4-chloro-3-methylphenol, why can't I say that easily, but I can't say parasitologic, I, what the hell, um, could have caused any toxicity. However, in 1962, Hall, don't know who that guy is, know that water carbonated with carbon dioxide containing carbonyl sulfide produced a detectable hydrogen sulfide some hours later, becoming stronger and disappearing after a few days. So long story short, they kind of had an idea, but once again, Coca-Cola tested this, and it, that's kind of an ethics question right there. They said there I was, was going to raise it. They said there was nothing there, but also what they were testing for potentially wouldn't have shown up in the tests anyway. Here's where it gets interesting. Uh, there were five schools in question here, and there was a big backlash for Coca-Cola, obviously. And regardless of the lab results showing that nothing was wrong, Coca-Cola's damage control was uh, to declare to the public uh, that there were two causes that led to the Coca-Cola symptoms. One of them was that small Coke bottles, like glass bottles, uh, produced in Antwerp used, quote-unquote, the wrong CO2. Don't know what that huh? means necessarily. The yeah, second I cause... Ask. I didn't know there was a wrong one. This, <laughs> the second cause was that Belgian cans made in Dunkirk were made on very small pallets and they gave no other uh, like explanation and they recalled those as well. And then they what also the said was... that the, potentially there were words of like a potential fungicide contamination in the cans and or the bottles. Okay. Regardless, um, eventually... 
Um, it got all cleared, went back, and then Coca-Cola had to do a giant marketing campaign to kind of get back on Belgium's good side. Now, this was eventually uh, chalked up to mass hysteria under several studies, and it was used as kind of like a postmark for that. However, okay. I did find a study, and I said mass hysteria because that's how they called it, but, you know, mass psychogenic illness uh, or, you know, um, contagious panic attack. But... I'm going to read from a study called Belgian Coca-Cola-Related Outbreak. Intoxication, mass sociogenic illness, or both. The interesting part about this study is that this study broke up the cases into two different categories. They looked at the five schools that experienced this, and they separated out from school A, and then they separated from school B through E. So school A was the first set of cases and then school B through E was all the ones that followed after news got out. It turns out that the, there's a couple of factors that work in here, time, location, and also what were the symptoms that were given at the time. And also when I was talking about the bottles versus cans, who got what? Uh, first of all, I have a couple of charts that you guys can look into in the show notes that we have. I'm not going to post this on the website, but I will definitely have the study there. Uh, this is just for Josh and Greg's sake. Um, if you look at school A, the number of cases happen clearly at lunchtime for these people with a few happening in the afternoon, potentially when, um, the kids may have brought home one of the glass bottles. Uh, gotcha. this were th these were the cases where the strange odor was described and it was described pretty particularly as being like sulfur or an eggy smell. And that's what I was talking about for the lab results. So I was going to ask sulfur is immediately what came to mind when you talked about a distinct taste and smell. I, and, I, I figured it was sulfur. And these were the lab results that were looking for all those sulfur compounds that potentially would have uh, been gone from the sample, uh, only a couple of days after um, being sampled from. So the test could have potentially not gotten it. They did it by gas uh, chromatography. I've said that before, that's my bread and butter. There's a good chance that all the volatiles went away before they could even test it. If you look hmm. at the rest of the cases, they are much more scattered. They're happening throughout the day in the morning or just not even at lunchtime. It just seems like they went to a vending machine at different times and then were sent to the emergency room. Uh, school B was very spread out, school C as well. School D was uh, a lot of cases that were nice and spread inside of the morning hours, strangely enough. I don't know if Belgians drink uh, morning Coca-Cola or something like that, but yeah, it was weirdly enough. So yeah, these schools uh, were separated out and it seems like the groupings are a bit interesting by the way it had spread. Um, so there's that. Number one, it seems like just... From my head right now, there's a lot of credence towards school A having been an actual incident. And then potentially the other schools may have been running with the trend after the news got out. And here's kind of my reasoning why. Here are the factors that were uh, worked into the study. Location. All of these cities, and I'm going to try to and fail at pronouncing a bunch of uh, Belgian cities. Bornem, <laughs> Brugge, uh, Harobeke. Uh, Kot Kotrijek and Lokristi are no more than an hour away from each other by car. No two of them are no any more than an hour away from each other, and one of them is less than 10 minutes away by car. Along with mm. that, remember how I said that there were cases in northern France? These schools were located in northwestern 
Belgium right by the French border. So there's a chance that some of these areas shared similar media stations with each other. Yeah. yeah. So it could have easily spread over the border and potentially uh, the French kids ran with it too. So that's my guess right there of how this could have happened. Now, once again, also same distribution for Coca- uh, for Coca-Cola probably. So maybe it could have been an actual incident. But all the other schools, their symptoms of the smell of the drink were much less descript. They didn't always say sulfur. Sometimes they didn't even mention it. And sometimes the symptoms were all over the place. Um, there were some students that were friends with each other, that were grouped up with each other. They didn't even, they had like these small pockets of people where one little like friend group had certain symptoms and another from the same school had another set of symptoms from everybody they looked at. So that's kind of weird in the first place as well. Um, Also, for all these other schools and for the first school, this was also during examination week for all of these students. So there was Ah. already a sense of anxiety there. Yeah. Lastly, concurrently in the media, only a few weeks to a few months before, there was a dioxin scare that had happened in Belgium. And if anybody is not aware what dioxin is, it is a contaminant in a lot of foods that happens either naturally or by industrial processes. Um, one example is uh, it's in a group of PCBs, uh, which are um, polycarbonated biphenyls, I think it is what it is. Uh, it's been a while since I've been working in the lab, but I did use a test for this and it was scary as shit. Because it had a ton of bad interactions if you were to come in contact with it, even for a short amount of time. The short time stuff was like skin lesions, uh, liver function disruption. um, And also there were uh, long-term cancers that could happen from um, long-term exposure. But it always got into like the water system or into any agricultural area. It was a big deal. Um, There's been a couple of dioxin outbreaks and it's never turned out well. Uh, but it's considered one of the dirty dozen of contaminants that are, uh, it's pretty much like you have to recall a lot of shit if it happens. So there was already that big recall scare and people actually getting sick and then people thinking they were getting sick from it and just worrying and being stressed out about it. So it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stress that was focused in on this situation. Um, but to say the least, there was um, no rotten egg in all the other schools it wasn't spread out in a certain time frame, and there was a whole lot of media that had already spread before those schools started reporting. If you were to think that there'd be an actual issue, you'd think that those glass bottles or cans would already be in that area, and they would be experiencing at the same time as School A from that shipment. Right. So I don't know where to really think of this or lay on it. My idea, um, and I'm going to read a little bit more from the study before I say what I'm going to say there. Can I can I point one thing out because I know I can only see the figures uh, that that you provided us. Yeah. One of the things that I find absolutely insane is the overwhelming amount of females that were affected by this, especially um, outside of school A. School A looks a little bit more balanced between male and female. Schools B, C, D, and E combined, it looked like they only had like one, two, three cases that were that were in males and everything else was in females. Like yeah. that, that's an insane anomaly as well. Yeah. And if I was to speculate on that at all, I think that's more of a sociological thing where I think we actually talked about this in our um, anti-vax episodes where autism is uh, 
very underdiagnosed in uh, women, females, AFABs, whatever you want to call them, um, because of the societal expectation or, I guess, permissiveness for women to generally be more dramatic or to be known to act out more and such. So that could potentially carry over to events like this, where it's expected that women would be more reactive to this or something. And uh, there's a whole lot of baggage attached to that. Um, but I don't want to get too deep into that because it'd be honestly, I, I, I want to do some more research before, you know, just saying that out of anywhere. No, um, I, and I wasn't expecting you to comment on it. I actually took it a different way. I took it as that guys are more likely to be like, I'm a tough guy. This doesn't bother me. I'm going to be fine. It's just a little bit of pain or whatever it is. Yeah. That's you pretty know, much the other side of the coin of what I was saying. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. I took it the complete opposite way. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you why I'm shitting my brains out. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, to continue on the lab results, uh, the beverages consumed in school a on the day of the outbreak had been produced just four days earlier. All toxicologic analyses were performed only several days after the day of the outbreak. Since carbonyl sulfide and hydrogen sulfide concentrations are known to decrease over time. The fact that these test results show low or undetectable levels of gases may not be meaningful indicator of a potential exposure. It is unclear whether the beverages produced on June 4th were supplied to other places within the same time delay and whether the samples taken for analysis came uh, from the lots suspected of causing the illness. So just as I was saying, um, and this goes a little bit more into the idea of mass sociogenic illness. Under the hypothesis of mass sociogenic illness, several features enhance contagion for the outbreak. In schools B to E, as in many previous outbreaks, the arrival of ambulances with emergency personnel and police could have increased the general excitement and anxiety, resulting in the spread of symptoms. In addition, propagation of the illness accelerated with person-to-person transmission when the students were grouped, like during uh, break periods or school lunch, by line-of-sight audiovisual cues, such as seeing somebody faint and then other people will get excited about that. That's hmm. other things that could have happened. Um, extensive nationwide radio and television media coverage of the first incident in school a probably played a substantial role in transmitting the outbreak from school to school and from to the, from school to the general population as well. What I thought was pretty interesting is they also did take into account the general lack of transparency from the Coca-Cola company, um, which I think is a, a very responsible thing to do, but I really like this part here. Factors that contribute to the possible existence and role of mass sociogenic illness are difficult to discern. Mental health status at the time was influenced by many factors, not the least which was end-of-year examination. There also may have been overestimation with a low mental health score among cases. Finally, extensive media coverage of the incident in School A could have introduced information bias and resulted in the over-identification of cases in School B to E. And they were saying pretty much from this... Um, it's very too often that they just chalk it up to this quote unquote mass hysteria. They actually looked into it and said, wait a minute, there may have actually been an incident, but then there could have been a sociological aspect after the initial, uh, physiological incident. So it's, um, what, what do you think about this, Josh? What's your takeaway from it? I, I would imagine that if there was something that happened with school a i would be more inclined to believe that um if something actually did occur i it sounds like just the high level of stress and anxiety from the school um examinations and things like that leads me to believe that it's maybe not the case 
but at the same time, I'm kind of conflicted because the the perpetrator, I guess, or and, you know, uh, and this is Coca Cola, and they're the ones doing their own examination on the actual material. So uh, they're not, you know, they're not inclined to come out and say, oh yeah, we messed up. We put, you know, high sulfur or something, uh, whatever. Um, we, we did, we did wrong with the, with the, what's the word I'm looking for? The ingredients, you know, making it, um, in our process, we messed up. Like the, the whole self-policing thing is normally never a really good thing in these situations. Yeah. And to be fair, they did send their results to another lab for peer review. Um, but at the same rate, like, oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, number one, it seems like they kind of half-assed the response anyway, because they came out and said they just had a bad CO2 batch. Like I even actually heard during the press conference when they cut it off, unfortunately, it was from an AP video, but the dude said it was bad CO2 and you hear a report in the background saying, what do you mean by bad CO2? And then it cut off. I really Aww. wish he had elaborated afterwards. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's so, I would say that it was a physical incident that was uh, followed by a psychological incident. Um, That's what I'm inclined to believe. The media, pretty much. Yeah. The media's do, been doing some great stuff for us lately. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, I land on I land on the same uh, same side of this as you. I, I I would tend to believe that. Okay, and uh, listeners, if you have any further input on that, or if you completely disagree with us. Please talk to me about it because um, I am very flexible on this topic. I'm really sorry, y'all. I got to get rolling. I love y'all. Thank you. I I will be here for the next one. And uh, this is not a bit, everybody. This is just happens. <laughs> All right. I know. I have to leave. I'm sorry. Have a good show, guys. Bye. Bye. Uh, Josh, would you like to round us out with one last story of potential, what do we call it? Contagious panic attacks? Yes, or mass panic attacks, whatever you want to say. Um, yeah. I am going to refer to it as mass hysteria because that's how I have it in my notes, but I will do my best to to make a mental note to to change it to mass panic attacks or whatever. You know, just say, I'm going to be a sexist for the rest of the episode, okay, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> so before jumping into my topic, I want to set the mood a little bit. On December 16th, 1997, Something major happened in history, and specifically nerd history. Nobody knew it at the time, but it would be something that would have a domino effect even to this day. To understand what the vibe is like at this time, let's kind of take a stroll back in the Rumor Flies time machine. So in December of 1997, what do we have going on? We have Titanic smashing at the box office, praised to James Cameron. Um, Candle in the Wind uh, by Elton John is on every radio station. I got an N64. I got an N64. So uh, that's probably, yeah, I was going to get there to it in 64, but that's a big hit right now as well. Spice World is also premiering at your local theater. Um, and finally, Bill Clinton just announced that his uh, dog's name is Buddy. But what do any of these events have to do with the fate of the world? Well, looking back in hindsight, really nothing unless you count out Avatar from James Cameron or making Leo DiCaprio an even bigger household name with Kate Winslet, but that's a different conversation. So, But the world is a much different place than it is today, and before the sun sets, it will be worse off than the day began. You see, a brand new episode of Pokemon was coming out this day. Like many of you, I assume, every time a new episode of Pokemon came on, I was there I was tuning in as soon as it dropped. I mean, and it wasn't just me. I know it, Pokemon Fever was taking the world by storm, and the series was a complete success. 
I'm going to circle back to this at the end, but I want everyone in the meantime to imagine at this time when they were watching uh, Pokemon, the TV series. And it, it, there's a reason that I'm bringing that up. So just, you know, but I remember watching Pokemon all the time when I was a kid. I, I, I was ingrained, you know, and watching it every time that it premiered. I, I, I loved it. But so there's something unique about the episode that premiered today on December 16th and not unique um, in episode 35, which was three episodes before this one, the legend of Dratini, which never made it to America um, or was dubbed in English to the, due to the fact that there were guns being pointed at different characters. Uh, and funny enough, that episode and this episode that we are currently talking about are the two episodes that are not officially part of the season count in America. Hence, if you ever look up season one of the Pokemon, the animated series in Japan, there are 82 episodes versus 80 episodes in the first season in the United States. Wasn't there so the no, other one where, where James used fake tits or something like that in an episode um, in that one? I think they just got edited. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, yeah. And then, yeah, the Safari one you're talking about. I, I find that astounding that um, America was the uh, the country that decided not to show the episode with guns pointing everywhere. I, you know, I, I was going to bring that up, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really jive <laughs> with, you know, America, but whatever decisions were made. I, I, it's just, it's interesting. So no, this, this episode is something completely different. It was pulled from the airwaves completely after its initial showing in Japan. And for those of you that don't know, I, the episode I'm referring to, and I'm going to butcher this because it's in Japanese. So Ryan, forgive me. Um, it is known as Dino Senshi Porygon, which is translated into uh, Computer Warrior Porygon, or more commonly known as Electric Soldier Porygon. And in this particular episode, Ash, Brock, and Misty uh, notice something Ari going on in the Pokemon Center. There's something wrong with the Pokeball transmitting device, so they go into the machine to investigate it. And this, dear listeners, is where we arrive at the crux of my topic. It has come to be known as, quote, Pokemon Shock. So what the hell happened and what are the effects and how is this still affecting us today? Well, there's a scene where Porygon fires missiles at Ash and his friends. So Pikachu being the gangster that he is, he just blows that shit up with a lightning bolt. <laughs> um, and the animators at the time decided to... that show this in a way that um, it was alternating red and blue lights very quickly for dramatic effect. Uh, it's known as, I believe, is like Pekka Pekka. I believe that's the correct term. Um, I'm not very uh, animated savvy, so excuse me if I pronounce that wrong. It's an actual um, anime animation technique. Oh, um, oh, that might be like lightning or something like that. I don't know. I, it, it probably is something like that, but I don't, I don't know. So my friends in the back like me, this is also known as a strobing effect, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. So this scene occurs, and some viewers complained of blurry vision, headaches, dizziness, nausea, seizures, temporary blindness, convulsions, and lost consciousness. So these heart's visuals induced what is known as photosensitive epileptic seizures, unfortunately, across Japan, and 685 children were taken to the hospital as a result, where two of them remained in the hospital for more than two weeks. And to make matters worse, other people had seizures while watching the news reports because they were rebroadcasting clips of the scene. 
Oh, <laughs> I have z- zero idea why anybody thought that was a good idea to reshow the scenes again. But, you know, hey, man, the 90s were. <laughs> oh, my God. Crazy. This just in. Many children hospitalized because of this footage. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I guess such is life in the 90s, right? It's like so, a uh, uh, it's like a real rendition of Halloween three. Oh, my God. It's it's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's it's like <laughs> this video is killing everybody within a week from the ring, and then they just show it on the news. Um, but like I mentioned before, this episode was promptly removed from the air and was actually never shown again. And to take one step further, one of the the domino effects of this is that Porygon or any of its evolutions ever, never appeared again in any capacity in the Pokemon universe, on TV, or on the big screen, except in very brief cameos. I mean, you can get it at the casino in uh, red and blue at the very least. You gotta, I think, I forgot how much money you needed for it, but you, that's one of the prizes you can get at the casino. I realize you're like 10 years old in that game. You can gamble at a casino. Interesting. <laughs> that wasn't banned in America, but pointing guns was. Anyway, so the next day, TV Tokyo issued an apology and said it would investigate the cause of the seizures um, and all these other effects that were, were caused by it. So more on that later. The show was completely removed from programming, not the episode, which that was completely scrubbed from all iterations, but the show itself was completely removed from programming and and immediately was put on hiatus, which now we know was for four months. So they were put on a four-month hiatus to see how to proceed with the series. I don't think anybody who, who, you know, people who work in television know this, but I don't think you have to work in television to understand that if you have a hit show like that and then all of a sudden abruptly you have to go on a four-month hiatus, that sucks. Like, that's really detrimental to your... To your uh, the television series continuing and, and actually being a success. This happening was such a big ordeal that the government got involved to see how all of this went wrong. The National Police Agency questioned the program's producers about its contents and production process, and the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare held an emergency meeting to discuss the case with experts and gather information from hospitals. And the ironic cherry on top of all this was that... that <laughs> <laughs> this episode, I don't mean to laugh, it's just ridiculous. This episode went down in the Guinness Book of World Records in 2004 and 2008 editions for, quote, most photosensitive epileptic seizures caused by a television show. Rockin'. <laughs> I mean, so now I'm sure you're asking yourself, self, what the hell happened after this episode and what happened after it was banned? Why was there an epidemic of people being prone to seizures that went undetected? Well, yeah, uh, just a quick question. So they were using a known film technique, right? Like animation technique? Yes. Okay, so it's not like they were doing anything like groundbreaking. It They just used a technique that's been used dozens of times before. Why this Why this instance? So there is some, some, there's a lot of truth to what you said, but there is something to the alternating red and blue lights like that. Like that can cause epileptic seizures and it wasn't just like one scene there were like there was one part where it was like two seconds long that it was a full screen flashing of red and blue um on there very quickly i guess they just found like the magic flashing frequency to trigger every kid's uh seizure like epilepsy in the entirety of japan pretty much yeah so i mean it, it was 685 kids so i mean like it was but that's still that's still a heavy amount so anyway um you know, I, I I 
laugh about the Guinness Book of World Records thing and like but this is a very delicate situation and it's a real problem if if it's true I mean you can't just show flashing lights in any capacity without warning and there needs to be some reevaluation of how seizures are diagnosed if like this many people were affected there's gonna be some animator that's just like I set a world record (laughs) (laughs) so the good news is that there was a complete overhaul of how things like this were handled Uh, they introduced new guidelines such as Flashing images, especially with red, should not flicker faster than three times per second. If the image does not have red, it should still not flicker faster than five times per second. Flashing images should not be displayed for a total duration of more than two seconds. Stripes, whirls, and concentric circles should not take up a large part of the TV screen. But then again, I, I want to ask the question, like, is this enough? What, like, what were the long-term effects of all of this happening? And luckily for us... There was a very thorough follow-up in the aftermath of all this hoopla. So oh, good. Studies showed that 5 to 10% of viewers did have mild symptoms, um, but they did not need hospital treatment. Approximately 12,000 children reported mild symptoms of illness, but they more closely resembled symptoms of mass panic attack, mass hysteria, however you want to call it. It resembled symptoms of that more than it resembled grand mal seizures. So a study following 103 patients over the three years found most I'm going to slow you down just because I heard it. It's grand mal seizures, not grandma seizures. Okay, audience. I thought it too. <laughs> I, oh. I always think that. Sorry, that's my that's my southern accent. No, 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 it's fine. Through. I I always just laugh at it when somebody says grandma seizures because I always hear grandma seizures, <laughs> which that's also not funny. Grandma's having seizures is not any funnier than kids having seizures. Okay. <laughs> so there was actually a study following 103 patients over three years found that most viewers had no further seizures, and that's 103 patients that were affected by this specific episode. So scientists believe that the flashing lights triggered photosensitive seizures and which visual stimuli can cause altered consciousness. So about one in 4,000 people are susceptible to these types of seizures. So I I think the statistic is um, like one in 100 people are um, affected by having seizures and 3% of those um, are susceptible to uh, the photosensitive seizures. So that's kind of like where that one in 4,000 number comes in. But still, the number of people affected by this broadcast is completely unprecedented. Just to put it really simply, the numbers just don't add up. Remember how I said that people were having issues when watching the news broadcast? Those numbers also got lumped into the statistics of those affected. Um, When examining the symptoms of those people affected, they much more closely resembled mass hysteria or mass panic attack syndrome. And that's not to say that the people who were affected didn't feel anything and that they were like blatantly faking it. That's far from it there. You know, they actually did experience real things that made them uncomfortable and made them react. But the effects weren't true photosensitive epileptic seizures across the board. It it just that's not how it happened. It's not true. Um, Also, something that is never brought up now, um, mostly because it wasn't really a big deal back then but not everybody watched it live there was no tivo or dvr back then or you know on demand really wasn't a thing but people still recorded the episode on vhs tapes and watched it at a later time so when word erupted that this happened in japan people were flocking to get their hands on it any way that they could and this also resulted in a 
totally different form of people falling into this mass hysteria because they all wanted to see what the big deal was. I want so a while, seizure too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so while seizures um, were indeed real, the amount of people that it affected um, is a statistical anomaly. There's just no way that that many people were affected by this and that a big chunk of the population fell into what they thought to be photosensitive epileptic seizures. That's just not the case. Um, I do. I mean, so that's that's basically the topic in a nutshell. So it was a brief scene that people saw and there were some children that were affected. There were 685 of them, but that's not a true indication of everybody that was truly affected by this. And I, I bring this up because <laughs> I, I say this is a, I don't mean this as a positive note. Um, it, it, it is though. It, it is. And it's not, it, it's, it's a delicate balance. So like I, I say a positive note because the show brought me a lot of joy and not just me, just millions of people outside of Japan. Um, I loved watching Pokemon the animated series, but there was an article that appeared in USA Today that reassured parents that American children were unlikely to suffer seizures provoked by cartoons as U.S. networks at the time rarely aired any anime with its, quote, fast paced style animation. I find this really interesting because there are also arguments out there that this incident in particular put Pokemon on the map here in the U.S. and helped propel it into popularity and into the mainstream media of American households. Controversy because, sells. So that the age-old question, right? Is there such thing as bad press? No, you know, no press is bad press, however you want to phrase it. So, and I, I bring this up to circle back because when I mentioned about wanting people to think about watching Pokemon, it wasn't in December of 1997. I know that because the Pokemon TV series did not air in the U.S. until almost 18 months later after the season started, uh, the series started airing in Japan. So it, in Japan, it was a weekly show. They would have a new episode that would come out every week and then you'd have to wait another one for the next one to pop off. In America, they were showing like new episodes every day or like every other day. It was it was crazy. So while you were having to wait for, you know, five weeks for five new episodes, you could fit five of those in a week here in, in America. Um, so, yeah, but that kind of begs the question for me of is there such thing as bad press? Because when people here in the U.S. caught wind of children having seizures from this Pokemon episode, that's when people started talking about it. And the trading cards and things like that were are, were real. And the, the video games and everything like that, yeah, that was all present and stuff. But um, it wasn't until after the TV series that people really started wanting to watch it here. And it really helped it catapult into, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry today. I mean, R Ryan, you're more in tune with Pokemon than I am today. But, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's dying down anytime soon. No, not really, actually. I mean, it's still going strong. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people from our age group are still pretty tied to it. Uh, I'm not as much anymore, but uh, I have several friends that still very much keep up with the franchise. But yeah. uh, the one thing that I, I'm interested about with this incident is that as opposed to the Belgian Coca-Cola scare where it was spread out over a couple of days and it had to have that initial like push for the event to happen... This one's interesting because it all happened at the same time. Yeah. So it's a wholly different incident. And it seems like this wouldn't be a situation where it's the kids are 
hanging out with each other or whatever, because this was only aired once in, in Japan, right? Yeah, only aired once. So they didn't even have enough time for like other kids to watch the episode and like think that they were going to get a seizure and then seizure themselves into a seizure and such. Um, that's the sentence. It, <laughs> so I think it has a little bit more credence in that sense because it's a lot of people doing it at once and they're not watching it together. They're usually in like their their home or something, with maybe like their sibling or two, but it's not like they all got together and said, we're going to have a seizure tonight. So I, I don't know. This one's interesting to me. So there were some cases of like instantaneous, like being affected by this where, you know, people went to the hospital, but it was also over the course of like a day or two where, um, so once, once it word got out that people were actually having seizures from it, that's, you know, when people started trying to find it and watch it or just watching the fucking news broadcast that night. And those all got lumped into those 685 people. So while there were cases of it happening at the same time, that wasn't necessarily true across the board. Okay. I, I found it really fascinating. Um, I, I took this not expecting to go down this rabbit hole and find so much detailed information uh, about, um, about this episode because I remember watching, you know, I remember Porygon. I remember all of these characters. I, me- I remember all of this, but I, I couldn't remember this episode. Well, now, A, I found out why I couldn't remember the episode. Um, but I also like, I don't remember hearing about this either. I was old enough at the time when Pokemon, when, when what this happened with Pokemon to where I would like, I would, I would have remembered something like this, or I would have heard somebody say something about this. And I think it would have stuck with me. I just, it doesn't ring any bells for me. I didn't know if you remember hearing anything about this at the time, Ryan. I heard variations on this. Now, can you elaborate again for me? Was the, um, was the flashing lights a result of something that Pikachu did or that Porygon did? Both. Um, Porygon fired missiles and Pikachu blew them up with a thunderbolt. Okay, so what I understood from this was actually like Pikachu's cheeks, which are generally just red, in this episode blinked for a bit. But since it wasn't the first episode of this airing, I feel like they would have done that animation of Pikachu attacking before. So I think that like um, my memory's fuzzy about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, and like what I heard in my head canon was that they never had Pikachu's, uh, cheeks blink again or anything like that. But I think it's a little bit different than, um, how I'm describing it. So yeah, uh, it's something that I knew about, but it's, uh, I like the modern interpretations of what these events can be like. Yeah, I agree. Um, and look, if, for, for those of you that are curious, I mean, you can track this clip down if you want to watch it. I mean, I, I, I watched it. Um, but if again, trigger warning, if you if you suffer from any sort of seizures or anything like that, flashing lights, don't watch the damn clip. Um, but I, I watched it and, and I because I don't have any issues with that. And I can tell you that, like, I can see why people were affected by it. Like, absolutely. There, there are a, a brief couple seconds where like as I'm watching it like it's full bore across the full screen where I'm just it's just blinking lights real quick and I'm like oh yeah I can definitely see if somebody is sensitive to that like this is definitely affecting them yeah well thanks for that Josh that was uh that was really fun <laughs> yeah I had a blast man that was great um that was awesome I actually I really enjoyed this episode uh Ryan you you kind of spearheaded the whole thing and uh I'm really glad you covered the Belgium Coca-Cola because I've heard you mention it before. And I know Greg's not here, but the cheerleaders fainting. I mean, there's a lot of similarities across all three topics, but it's funny how they all kind of branched off in their own way. 
uh, and you could see just different iterations of mass hysteria or mass panic attacks. Uh, and, and the uh, nice across. part is, in none of these situations was anyone murdered, because there's a lot of like of these like mass sociological events where people get murdered because of like say uh, any of these like fainting events or like crazy dancing or anything like that. These yeah. are more just like a slightly more level-headed response to it. You know, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad the worst thing that happened on my topic was that there were unfortunately two people who were in the hospital for up to two weeks, but nobody died. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you want to find us, we are pretty much on any platform you can find a podcast on. Um, If you want a little bit of something extra, we recently uploaded a video on YouTube of the cyber symposium that Ron Watkins had uh, made a guest appearance on, if anybody is unaware from our Q episode, Ron Watkins is the person that is most likely uh, the poster of, or a poster of Q. Uh, you can see how terrible of a, do- a job he did at exposing election fraud. Uh, go check that out. And then once again, our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash rumorflies. Uh, it's pretty much anything over the threshold of $1. We'll get you all our content on there. So uh, check it out if you feel inclined to. Um, thank you if you do. It's cool if you don't. Um, find us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash rumor flies, uh, we're on Instagram as well. We don't post there as much, but sometimes, and, uh, yeah, um, the rumor mill on Facebook, if you're into the Facebook game still, uh, Josh, am I missing anything? Oh, educated mess network. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's everything. Uh, come hang out, message us, email us, send a tweet. Ryan is always very snarky and very a very fun follow on Twitter. I am a gentleman on there, okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll go. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Um, so, once again, thanks, uh, everybody. And for this episode of Rumor Flies, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. And, and uh, Greg, not a bit, Greg's but Greg is not here, yeah. Yeah, Greg's yeah. not here. Bye. Bye. <laughs>